When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Build the portfolio of tomorrow today with alternative investments previously reserved for only the top 1%. Yield Street's cutting-edge investment products are designed to grow your wealth, bringing you one step closer to the financial independence you crave. With minimums at just $500 and access to investments in art, real estate, venture capital, and more, the future of alternative investing is now with Yield Street. Visit YieldStreet.com to get started. That's YieldStreet.com. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I've been riding a motorcycle for 52 years. I started having back pain that turned into a knee pain. I couldn't even sit on a motorcycle. I was like, oh man, am I going to have to give up riding bikes? Kaiser Permanente, they decided I needed a hip replacement. So I was going to do it through outpatient surgery. <laughs> Panned out great. Recovered overnight. Was home by 11 o'clock the next morning. I'm glad I made the choice for Kaiser Permanente. I'm enjoying life. Every medical case is unique. Kaiser Foundation Health Plan in the Mid-Atlantic States, 2101 East Jefferson Street, Rockville, Maryland, 20852. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan. And unfortunately, folks, it's finally happened. We have to recap a series that the Cubs didn't win. It's been almost close to a month and a half-ish since we've had to do that. Uh, So it was a very good run. The Cubs go 10 series without dropping one. The only one they didn't win that series with the Angels in Chicago. But a trip to Cincinnati, of all things, Brendan, does them in as they drop two of three to the Cincinnati Reds. So we will recap those three games. It was a close series. Cubs, you know, really only a couple innings, maybe a couple plays away from potentially sweeping this series. You could probably say something similar for the Reds. But alas, they do drop two of three, the final two games of this series to the Reds. So we will break all that down. We've got another wonderful lecture from the professor Kyle Hendricks to discuss a Rich Harden-esque U Darvish start for those of you uh, who remember 
the 2008 season fondly, or, or at least part of it fondly. <laughs> and we will talk a little bit about the lineup. Joe playing uh, a little bit of shuffling with the lineup in the finale on Thursday, tossing around some different ideas with various members of the media core, uh, and we will talk about all of that. So let me jump into these recaps right quick. We will try to keep it quick, give you the lay of the land of what happened with the Cubs and Reds over the last few days, and then we will move on to our lengthier discussion. So on Tuesday, it was Kyle Hendricks picking up his third win of the season, another brilliant outing for Kyle. He goes eight, gives up three hits, one earned run, one walk, and seven strikeouts, the lone run coming on a solo home run for Joey Votto. So not the worst way to surrender uh, your lone run of the game. And Kyle Hendricks also doing some work at the plate in this one. He has a two RBI double in the top of the second that would win the game, basically. And Wilson Contreras would add a sacrifice fly later for the Cubs' third run. And that was pretty much all she wrote. Uh, Three runs on 11 hits for the Cubs, one run on three hits for the Cincinnati Reds. Kyle Hendricks goes three for four in this game with two RBIs, bringing that season batting average, Brendan, up to 211. So, yeah, uh, I, you know, I I think uh, perhaps Johnny has some competition in, uh, you know, if if we needed a pinch hitter, you know, in the bottom of the 18th inning, uh, you know, maybe you might look to Kyle Hendricks, although Chatwood has also shown us that he can swing the bat uh, a bit as well. So, Again, 3-1 to one the final on Tuesday as the Cubs pick up the uh, first W in this series. And then on Wednesday, it was a disappointing one as the Cubs' bullpen blows one. It's, it, it, maybe we were overdue for that, I guess, uh, for, for a good old-fashioned bullpen throws a game away game. You know, we certainly saw a lot of those in the early portion of the season, but uh, definitely not as common at all. Uh, as we've gone through this glorious 10 series without a loss stretch. Uh, But Wednesday night was the night for one of those. Yu Darvish goes five and a third. He allows five hits, two earned, no walks, and 11 strikeouts. We will talk further in depth about our feelings about this start from Darvish and just our general reactions. Uh, But that is a, a very solid line. No walks and 11 strikeouts. That's a solid night's work. Mike Montgomery came in to relieve him for two-thirds of an inning to finish off the sixth. Brandon Kinsler would allow a solo home run that got the Reds back in things. Kyle Ryan came in and uh, gave up a hit and an earned run, and that earned run coming on a two-run shot off of Carl Edwards Jr. Carl had been very good since returning from Iowa, but A. Eugenio Suarez, as Pat Hughes refers to him, Gets him in this one. His 13th homer of the year in the bottom of the eighth tied things at five. Earlier in the top of the eighth, Kyle Schwarber hit his fifth home run of the season to give the Cubs a 5-3 to three lead. Addison Russell homers in this one. Albert Almora homers in this one. Daniel Descalso with a sack fly to get the Cubs up to the top of the eighth. Just to recap that there. Schwarber homers to make it 5-3, to three, and then in the bottom half, again, a Eugenio Suarez off of Carl Edwards Jr. That made it 5-5. Five to five. We would go all the way unto the bottom of the 10th, and it was a Yasiel Puig, air quotes, single to walk off the Cubs on this one. This was about five inches from clearing the fence for a walk-off grand slam. So one of those kind of funny notes that it gets called a single and 
it uh, technically it was, but it certainly didn't look that way. If you were looking at it in a vacuum, Brad Brock taking the loss in this one, he goes an inning and a third and ultimately surrenders that walk-off hit to Puig. The final six to five in 10 innings on Wednesday. Tonight, as we record this on Thursday night, the Cubs dropping the finale 4-2 to the Cincinnati Reds. There was a rain delay in here, uh, but ultimately getting Castillo out of the game in the rain delay was not enough for the Cubs offense. The Cubs took the lead early in this one on a Wilson Contreras double in the first inning. That's another one you could probably put air Air quotes quotes around. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, (laughs) This was a double. Uh, Basically, it was a soft ground ball that Suarez charged uh, as it was going down the line. It hit the base and bounced over his head, allowing Bryant and Javi Baez to score. That made it two to nothing. Jose Peraza added a, honestly, this is another one you could do it. He added a home run in the fifth inning. And I only say that because that porch in right field in Cincinnati is very, very short. And this does not go a very far distance, but it counts for a home run. They're all playing in the same ballpark, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, that is Peraza's third home run of the year. That made it 2-1. to one. And in about the worst timing you could possibly have, Brendan, Jose Quintana loses complete control of this game and complete control of his pitches. He throws two wild pitches in a row that move the runners and bring a run in that ties the game at 2 and then Suarez promptly singles uh, to left to give the Reds a 3-2 to two lead. This all happened, I kid you not, about five minutes before the sky opened up to an unplayable degree. It had been pouring for a, a bit, but it had to have been five minutes or less before it was going to be no, no choice. They're going to have to bring the tarp out. So Quintana just missed that, uh, that threshold of, of getting through you know, the uh, qualified game in the, in the bottom of the fifth here with the Cubs ahead. Alas, that is not the case. And Suarez, you've heard his name a lot already, adds another one with a single in the bottom of the sec- seventh, and that made it 4-2, to two, and the Cubs offense would have nothing left in them. So that is how the series streak ends, Brendan. It's, it's a sad day. I, I did enjoy going through that list. I was starting to memorize it. For those of you that watch Game of Thrones, a, a quick tie-in there. It was starting to become familiar to me like Arya Stark's uh, kill list, where I could repeat that list of series in my sleep almost, you know, pirates, angels, marlins, etc. Uh, but that's it. It ends. The Cubs are now 9-1-1 one, and one in their last 11 series. That'll have to be good enough for us, Brendan. But I'll throw to you first. Before we jump into uh, the Darvish thing, I I, I did just want to say that, you know, we talk about these series and and that long stretch, and this was an annoying series, no doubt. Assuredly, however the Cubs dropped a series after a stretch like that, it was almost guaranteed to piss us all off, right? (laughs) You you just, for whatever reason, you just kind of become accustomed to them winning these series, them playing really good baseball, and whether they got blown out in this series in two games or lose two close games like they did— I think either way it was going to bother all of us and, and just leave us with that sour taste we've, we've talked about before. But I, I do just want to contextualize all of this before we jump into kind of the, the issues of the day and say that that was a really impressive stretch of baseball. And I think that we can be annoyed 
at how these games were lost. I mean, certainly, you know, tonight, Quintana throwing wild pitches that let the, the Reds into this one, giving up hits at the worst time, the offense not performing as well as we would like. Uh, we can talk about all that and, and feel that way, but but don't lose sight of how good this team has been playing and, and what that stretch just was. Losing one series in 11 attempts, especially against the caliber of teams that the Cubs have gone up, against in this stretch, you know, again, playing the Diamondbacks twice, the Dodgers, the Cardinals, the Brewers, like, this was not an easy stretch of, of baseball by any means. They face some good pitchers throughout this run. They unfortunately have a few more good pitchers to face coming up over the weekend here in Washington, but this was a very good stretch of baseball. Uh, us being a little perturbed about, uh, you know, coming up short against the Reds, notwithstanding, this, this was a very impressive run for the Chicago Cubs, and I don't want that to, you know, get lost in the shuffle here. Even though they lost the series, a lot of what they were doing well still remained. I mean, the pitching as a whole, sans a few innings from the bullpen, was very good. Darvish was very good. Hendricks continued his recent stretch of success, and I thought Quintana looked okay. I mean, the, the conditions were poor, and he couldn't go back out there in the six, but overall, the starting pitching was good once again. So, And we're going to get into the issues of the series, but for the most part, I think what we saw the Cubs do well, generally do well, still existed in that red series. And baseball is going to baseball, and these types of series happen throughout the year. I am still encouraged, and I think there's a lot of good to take away from the series, Corey. The the first topic tonight is you, Darvish, and... It was a, an interesting start, Brendan, because for for a lot of reasons, I, I think there are there there's a good portion of, of fans who, at this point, anything short of a complete game shutout, I, I'm not sure that you can do right in their eyes, and I don't mean you, Brendan. I mean why you, as in Darvish, but. This was a good start to me. I I know that it's easy to look at this one and say, you know, he only goes five and a third. It takes him over 100 pitches to get there. And, you know, you still have to rely on the bullpen, which ultimately, you know, does come back to bite the Cubs. But look, I'm not going to complain about a guy who goes five and a third, strikes out 11, and doesn't walk anybody. I would love for him to be more efficient. Um, But he was only two outs away from getting through the sixth there. He, it would have taken him, you know, probably close to 120 pitches-ish to get there, but it's not like it was out of the question. He was already out there in the sixth inning. He had gotten an out, and that's kind of the recipe when you strike 11 guys out. You know, that means you have to throw at least three pitches to them, uh, usually, of course, more, And you did have, I think it was in five, it was in maybe five of the strikeouts that he had three balls on on the hitter. So, you know, Mm -hmm. he does run deep counts, but he was finding a way to throw strikes. I thought that the command was better, certainly, than we have seen in some of these other outings from him. Uh, I think he was in the high 60s in terms of, you know, the amount of just pure strikes that he threw. So, I I thought this was a good start. I, I said Rich Harden at the outset because I think for anybody like us, Brendan, that was uh, you know in their teens in the, in the 2008 season, that that Rich Harden season is one that you know kind of sticks with you for whatever reason because he was nasty in every start. He you know and oftentimes would have like a no hitter 
uh, going for a good portion of the start. He would rack up the Ks, but he would never get past, you know, the fourth, fifth, sixth inning. That was kind of the threshold, and that's kind of just what it was. So I, I think to me, this isn't where you would necessarily want to see him in every start, just because you don't want the bullpen having to cover the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, right. and the ninth every single night. But again, as we've talked about before, I, I think at least right now, for better or worse, you're looking at him as your fifth starter, just in terms of of reliability and, and results, just to this point in the season. It certainly doesn't have to stay that way, and I'm not saying that you are, are comfortable with that. But right now, with the way these other four guys are performing and the results that they're getting, you know, they're all giving you length, good performances, like... If you're getting five and a third with no walks, two earned runs, and 11 strikeouts from, you know, your fifth starter every fifth day, I'm taking that all day, Brendan. Like, again, like, you you would love for him to be more efficient, but he was only just slightly off, right? Like, he throws 102 pitches on the night to get one out in the sixth inning. So he's two outs away from a quality start and, and, and hitting that sixth inning threshold turning things over to, you know, either Montgomery or however they wanted to do it for the 7th, 8th, and ninth, like, he's pretty close. So I, I think that, you know, again, we've talked all season about him in, in terms of not wanting any more of these silver lining start. And, and I don't think that this was one of those. I think this was just a good start. I think given his track record and the performances that we've seen from him consistently in his time with the Cubs— I, I get it. Like, it's going to be frustrating that he can't get through the sixth inning. And until he starts doing it, like, you, you don't want that to be a, a habit for him and something that, we, a threshold that he just doesn't get over. But in, in the context of how good this rotation has been as a whole, I think you can live with this every fifth day. No walks and 11 strikeouts. I, I just didn't find it the start where I was, you know, uh, gnawing my teeth or you know whatever after like i thought this was fine keep your whole home running like clockwork from the office to the game room with xfinity internet you'll get the best in-home wi-fi experience with reliable speed and coverage now that's simple easy awesome go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today to learn more restrictions apply the the key for darvish was the fastball command and we've been harping on that for the better portion of the last month and a half now and there was only one start before this most recent one where he had fastball command. So he comes out right out of the gate against Cincinnati, and he's throwing 94 to 95 consistently. Zero drop in velocity whatsoever. And I bring that up because you know the story with Darvish. There were times where he's pumping 97. Next pitch is 91, 92, 91, 92, and then 96, 97. There's no consistency. And he was talking about when, at times... He was just throwing the ball as hard as he can, and at times he was commanding it, right? So it was good to see Darvish look as if he had feel for the fastball. He struck out 11 guys. He threw 32 four-seamers, 20 of which were inside the strike zone. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a much better start, and it's exactly what you want to see going forward to some degree. Now, the counter to that is, well, yeah, he still... You know, he struck at 11 guys, but he was not efficient in doing so. We just saw Kyle Hendricks throw a complete game in 81 pitches. Darvish, it took him 102 to get through the six. 
There were times where he did look as if the command was not necessarily there, but that was limited. Overall, I felt very confident about Darvish, I think for the first time all year. And this is his best start as a Cub. Like, like, don't let that go unnoticed. Like, this is a very important start for you, Darvish, who may need that that stepping stone, that that confidence to go out there and 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 shove like he is right now. So overall, I, I am very encouraged. I don't think it's a silver lining start. I still would like to see a little bit more consistent command with that fastball, and ideally. If this is what it is going forward, so be it. But ideally, I don't want to see him still throw 55 sliders per game, which is what he did uh, against the Reds there. It's too, it's too many sliders. It's, it's one, potentially problematic for his injuries, or rather his health, no injuries, knock on wood. But you don't want to see your starting pitcher go out there every five days and throw 50 sliders. There's been several guys in recent memory who do that. They get injured. They can't, they can't go out through, you know, 180, 200 innings consistently. So I don't want to see that. And at times, too, he's throwing those sliders because the fastball command is not necessarily where he wants it to be, despite it being a little bit better. So I do, I do think it's a great start. For him going forward, I still want to see a little bit more, but that's me being greedy because I get it. Like, yeah, he is the fifth starter right now, but we're assuming that come September, we're going to get the same level of performance from the other four guys, which is still, it's very possible that happens. I think given what we've seen so far, Hamels, Hendricks, Lester, and Quintana could all be doing that by September. But baseball is going to give you some, you know, things that you just never thought would come and you still want that depth. And I still want to see Darvish perform better than your fifth starter. I still think he has potential to be the best pitcher on this team, right on up there with Lester and Hendricks and Q and, and, and Hamels. So I, I want to see a little bit more. But overall, this was a very encouraging start and exactly, I think, what we realistically could expect going forward. Actually, maybe even exceeding expectations because the fastball command was so good, Corey. Yeah, and I think one thing that stood out to me from the post-game comments was both Madden and uh, catcher Taylor Davis, who earlier today was optioned back out of the Major League team in favor of Victor Caratini. Yeah. Uh, just a, a housekeeping note there. But they both talked about how close he seems to be to—Madden uh, keeps calling it this, like, epiphany that that will kind of push Darvish forward and just let everything lock in I don't understand him. what Madden means by that. Like, like what is—like, is that a mental thing? Is it a mechanical thing? Like, epiphany? Like, I, I don't—I just don't understand that. I like, think he's basically— using a different word for kind of like getting in a groove just like you know having a good feel for things and being able to kind of go on a run i i I think sometimes joe says stuff where it's anybody's it's anybody's best guess as to what exactly he's talking about so but i I think that's what he means that like and and what i was getting to is that one thing that you talked about in particular is slowing the pace down and taking his time and And, you know, sometimes we see some of these pitchers in this league work very quickly. They get back up there. They want the ball. They want to keep things moving. You know, you think of someone, just someone in Chicago that comes to mind whenever anybody describes that is Mark Burley, someone who he gets the ball. He wants to throw it right away. Like it was a thing with him for years that he could finish games in, you know, 90 minutes to two hours, right? Like 
And Darvish said afterward, you know, that he's not like that. He likes to have his own pace, you know, be convicted in what he's doing. And, you know, he's not out there to speed things up for the sake of the game. You know, this is probably like Rob Manfred's worst nightmare hearing you Darvish say this, but he's basically just like, I want to take my time. And he thought that doing that in this start really helped him just sort of settle down, focus on each pitch, and and get the better results. So you know what I did notice though when um, when uh, Davis was catching Darvish, maybe you noticed it too, but he would throw Darvish the ball back almost immediately, almost like intentionally fast, so Darvish yes. could get the ball back, take his time, and it wouldn't be too long in between pitches. So I thought that was interesting. Maybe. I'm just not remembering Davis doing that beforehand, but it really stuck out to me this I had noticed him time. doing that. I'm not, I'm not sure you know, if he's doing it every time or what, but I had noticed him doing that in particular on pitches that Darvish was executing okay. and kind of being like, okay. yes, like that. Take the ball, do yeah. that again, right? So mm-hmm. as we talked about, you know, he, he's he's not with the club anymore as of today, but I, I you know, Taylor Davis did an admirable job. Yeah, I got to um, say, man, like I really, I had no expectations right. for him, but defensively, I love the way he very catches good. the game. Very good. Yeah, very and, I, and I think just mentally yeah. really visible yeah, that that he went out there and you know you you have to recognize that and and this is kind of a brief aside to to the Darvish talk but I I do want to make sure that we recognize that like this is a guy who comes up from AAA I think he knows you know that his his roster spot is you know probably not a given right and that they you know you're waiting on Victor Caratini to come back a very quick turnaround for Victor so that's good to see yeah. um but you know that Davis is 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 not necessarily thinking like this is I'm the backup catcher on the Chicago Cubs now for the rest of the year right that, that I think no one was really thinking that but he came up and he devoted himself to helping this club. And the way that he was doing that was being a good receiver, a good game caller, and a good framer for you, Darvish. And that has been, that you know, that's an extremely important project. And I think that Davis deserves a lot of credit for really going out there. And I think even just to those of us watching on TV, really visibly putting in that effort to, like you're saying, like do those things, like get in tune with you, Darvish, and try to help him like, yes, you executed that one, get the ball, go, do that again. Like, the body language was good, the defense was good, the framing was good. So kudos to Taylor Davis for that. Yeah, like, I, I, yeah. I don't know if we'll see him Deserves up at the Major it. League level again this season. Who knows, right? But he, he does deserve, uh, I think, some, some credit for coming up and doing his best to help this team. Obviously, the Grand Slam will, will stand out. I'm not dismissing that. But I think his his real contribution here was uh, as a catcher. So back to Darvish, I think that, you know, it was just interesting to hear him say that about about the slower pace. And, I you know, I think that's part of it, like getting comfortable out there and, you know, finding what works for you. And, you know, this, this command issue to this severity is, you know, not really something that he's super familiar with. This is not like a, a career-long problem for him that the command is a, a an issue to this degree. So, you know, sometimes it's it's just as shocking to the system of the pitcher as it is to all of us watching it. And, you know, again, nobody wants to hear it, but sometimes these things take a little bit of time to figure out. And I think as long as he's, you know, we had, you know, expressed kind of concern after the the, the start prior to this, like, you know, we, we can't deal with these short outings, like these, all these walks, like walking the bottom of the order. 
But as as long as you're seeing those improvements and and seeing things tangibly moving in the right direction, I I think that you can at least be confident in hoping that we can ultimately get to that point where he's delivering these types of starts or even better starts than this on a consistent basis. And, and that was my problem before, too, that the reason I was so discouraged by Darvish was he was showing no signs of progressing. So yeah, outside yeah. of that second start, he could not throw a fastball for how many starts was that? Like four or five starts, whatever right. it was. Very up and down. Yeah. So yeah. this is like the first one where you're looking at and you're thinking, okay, he's looking good. This is very familiar for Darvish. Let's go. Let's continue it in four days and see where it goes. So it's 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 a huge relief, I think, for me because it's finally one sign where it looks as if he's on the right trajectory to get it back. We, we, we'll we break this down on Sunday, I, I think, because it's not the next series. But I, I do want you all to prepare yourselves for what will be certainly a day in, in our lives, Brendan, uh, online. And that will be minutes. on Monday at Wrigley Field when the <laughs> Philadelphia Phillies come to town. And I don't know what we're calling this one, Brendan, because we all know that the Brendan Bowl is Jose Quintana versus Juhulis Chassin. Uh, though at least this year, especially in terms of their overall numbers, that has has definitely Thank switched. Uh, Chassin is not having a good year, and Quintana is having a very good year. Um, if you're just joining us and curious what the Brendan Bowl is, just a, a, a quick aside that uh, Brendan was big on Juhulis Chassin before he signed with the Brewers. He believed very much in a change in sequencing that could lead pretty much exactly to the season that he had for the Brewers last year. Uh, And Jose Quintana is also someone who, prior to this year, has caused Brendan a lot of anxiety, just in terms of digging into the peripherals Mm -hmm. and uh, wanting more from him, etc. So we call it the Brendan Bowl because they faced each other, I think it was three times last year. And so it's kind of just a, a direct line at Brendan, like, here's the guy that you thought the Cubs should sign. And Ugh. here's the guy that the Cubs have. So let's see Thank how this God works out for you, Brendan. Yeah, so I don't know what we're going to call this one, folks, because I don't know that this is unique to either me or Brendan, though Brendan is a, a big Arietta guy. Oh my God, I miss him so much. But Monday at Wrigley Field, it would be the first time that uh, one Jake Arietta. you may remember him, you better not have forgotten him, I say that in jest, uh, but you may remember him from the 2016 World Series champion Chicago Cubs. World uh, Series champion, yes, correct, yes. Yeah, he, yep. I, I, I think, threw a, a couple big games for this team in, mm-hmm. in yep, his time them, here. Yep, yep. Yeah, so uh, it will be Jake Arrieta versus the man that, however you want to phrase that, that the the Cubs chose over him, that he declined the Cubs and they chose instead. I I don't know. I don't even know if we have the exact details on how that offseason even played out. I don't have the energy for it anymore. But as the universe would have it, they're going to go head to head, folks, (laughs) like at Arrieta's return to Wrigley Field uh, where he's actually pitching. He's been back before, but not on the mound. So that, that'll that be a day, Brendan. The Really, no matter how that game goes, uh, there's going to be some takes online. There's going to be some columns written, and that'll be something. But that's two series from now, so we don't, we don't have time for that today. But 
I, I want to transition to uh, another starter and, and just to kind of gush over him for a second, and that would be Kyle Hendricks. Let me read through you uh, Kyle Hendricks' last three starts, and you know the, the third in this group is that uh, amazing start he had uh, against the St. Louis Cardinals, the 81-pitch complete game shutout. That was nine innings, zero earned runs, three strikeouts, and no walks. His next start, eight innings, zero earned runs, seven Ks, no walks. His most recent start, eight innings, one earned, seven Ks, one walk. And that one walk was the last batter of that start. Brendan, Kyle Hendricks is on one right now. And I mentioned, you know, what he he did at the plate. He went three for four. He had two RBIs, but he's got a 2.86 ERA right now. And he is Mm. firstly gunning for that first All-Star game performance, which we need to happen. He's never been an All-Star? The the fact that he has not been amongst this group, we need it. Uh, it. I mean, it's probably just because he, he gets off to those slow starts, you know, and then they start the yeah, voting probably yeah. in what, like a week or something like that. I so I don't, or no, they don't vote on that though. I don't know. Whatever. The All-Star game is stupid. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's stupid, but I want Hendricks to have the honor. So, yeah. but regardless, like a 2.86 ERA for him and for him looking this locked in, I think, you know, in, in this portion of the season has got to be exciting. And man, were there some at-bats in this game against the Reds that are so classic Kyle Hendricks. And you just, I, you guys know how I feel about John Lester. Do you? Have I made that clear? Do you think, Brendan? Mm, you think I think the people you could know do a how little I bit feel more, about John Lester? Know. Yeah, well, a little bit more. Anyway, um, I, I still think that when Hendricks is on and the way that he makes, that manipulates hitters, is still my favorite thing to watch in a pitcher. And there were so many at-bats like this in this game against the Reds. I'm blanking on who the hitter was, uh, but it was a lefty, I think. And he he fouls off like five pitches in the at-bat only to swing through a changeup that fades just down and out mm, of the zone yeah. to ultimately finish it. And you're just watching it going, this is such a classic Hendricks at bat, and you know that the guy goes back to the dugout so frustrated. He thinks he's right on like five of them, fouls them off, and then he's nowhere close, way in front of that changeup to finish the at bat. Another one of those games, you know, they only get three hits the entire night, and just another one of those games where you have these guys making a ton of contact that you know the minute the ball hits their bat, they regret making that contact. They they think they've got a particular pitch barreled up, and they just don't. And and they end up making weak contact, and the Cubs defense is able to scoop it up and turn it into outs. Uh, but just an, an incredible three-start run here for Hendricks. But I think it's got to have you excited that he is pitching this well to go along with what Quintana's doing, Hamels is doing, and and obviously what Lester is doing. Uh, but we've seen Hendricks go on runs like this before. We've seen him have seasons like this before. And, you know, you know the potential that this guy has if he's able to deliver these starts on, on uh, you know, start-by-start basis. And his velocity is is right in line with what he was showing in 2016. And not only that, but his release point difference between his changeup and his sinker is indistinguishable right now. Whereas in the first few, I think three to four starts, 
there was a, a kind of separation between the two in terms of where he let go of the pitch. And so when you combine Hendrick's velocity increase and his ability to disguise the changeup and sinker, kind of like the tunneling phenomenon that you always hear about. Yeah, throwing... uh, elaborate just for a second. Elaborate on why it's so important that those release points are, uh, you know, indistinguishable. It's it's why Hendricks is who he is. Like he's getting away with throwing 87 to 88 because he disguises every one of his pitches extremely well. It's what Greg Maddox used to do. So imagine like, you know, you let go of the baseball and it kind of goes through this imaginary tunnel, right? There are some pitchers in the league who have really good stuff, but they let go of their different secondary pitches and fastballs at different points in the air. So sometimes if the really good hitters in the league, they can pick up on that. And the really good hitters in the league, sometimes they look for that. But for Hendricks, he's letting go of the changeup and singer at the exact exact location, basically. And we, we show this on CubsInsider.com, but... Again, in the first few weeks in April, there was a bigger separation. And not surprisingly, that's when he was getting wrecked. And he was throwing 85 to 86 in the process. It's no surprise that he was getting hit hard. And now it's no surprise that he's pitching well because he's doing what he did in 2016 when he basically, what, was one of the the most efficient pitchers in the league at a 1.99 ERA. That's who Hendricks is. And so to see him go out there and do that, basically flip the switch unexpectedly so fast is a great sign. And it gives you more confidence going forward that he can repeat these types of starts. Because there's always, maybe it's just like my false perception, but the guys who don't get those massive strikeout rates, some fans don't trust that. They trust, you know, guys who are like you, Darvish, or who are like Norris Syndergaard, who can get a lot of whiffs. They don't like giving up a lot of contact. But for Hendricks, he induces that weak contact because, like you were just saying there, you can throw a sinker in one portion of the zone, throw a changeup, it looks like the exact same pitch, and they right. just miss it. That is no that is no fluke. There is a reason why they are just missing that. So to see him do that and then get the whiffs at the same time in different at-bats, that's how we're always going to remember Hendricks. He, I mean, baseball prospectus described him as like a miniature Greg Maddox. And the reason is because he was doing what Maddox used to do against the Reds, and that's tunneling, that's disguising your pitches, that's optimizing sequencing. That's who Hendricks was, and that's why it was so encouraging to see him do so well. I think that the Greg Maddox comparison, sometimes I think that people assume that's just because they, you know, of of a velocity thing and that's not what it is it's it's much more than that and I and I think I I wanted you to kind of just elaborate on the tunneling just to kind of give that visual and we've mentioned uh the pitching ninja Rob Friedman who who does these great uh gifs and and videos on Twitter if you look at and he he tweets them for Hendricks all the time if you just search at <laughs> like pitching every ninja, star I feel like <laughs> yeah at pitching ninja Kyle Hendricks you'll find a lot of these gifts and if you look at them that's what Brendan is talking about here and and why Brendan in particular is, is such a uh, uh you know uh, obsessive about release points and what he's showing in these gifts is that these pitches look exactly the same. I mean, literally exactly, exactly the same. Exactly the same, but they are sometimes 10 miles an hour different, and they break a little bit differently 
right when they get to the plate. And I, I think that those gifts are always a great explanation. I always show them to people whenever they say, why did he swing at that, right? And I always go to the pitching ninja and I say, I'll show you why he Here's swung why. at that. Yeah. Because this he, he swung at a slider or a curveball that was, you know, five inches out of the zone because he just saw a fastball that went to the exact same spot until it didn't. And he thought he was looking at the fastball again because it's coming from the same place. It's following that same path. And it's too late when you eventually pick up the difference in velocity and spin. So... If, if you're looking for a more visual example, uh, I think the Pitching Ninja has uh, a lot of good ones, and I know Brendan has tried to illustrate this at CubsInsider.com as well. But I, I, I you know, other than that, I think that's that's pretty much all there is to say on on Kyle Hendricks. It's just been a, a really great run for him, and you you know you get excited when you see him pitching this well. It it just gives you uh, a lot of excitement and hope for what he's going to be able to do as this season continues to roll on because he just is in the zone. He, he's he's working on, on all of his levels. He's doing his thing, and it's going to be really exciting to uh, see if he can catch John Lester in terms of, uh, you know, the uh, MLB's ERA lead. I, I think that's that's a race that everyone in America will, will really uh, get attracted to. Uh-huh, and, and uh-huh, I, you know, uh-huh. I think as baseball is looking for, you know, ways to bring eyes to the game, I think a John Lester, Kyle Hendricks ERA race is exactly is the way to do it. Yeah, Absolutely. is exactly the thing to do it. But I want to transition now, Brendan, to a pretty broad topic, and that is the Chicago Cubs lineup. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting spot that the Cubs find themselves in because Rizzo is still dealing with his back thing. Joe Madden said today on Thursday, uh, as you guys are listening to this on Friday, they mer- there may have been further updates on this, uh, but that he might get back out there tomorrow, but probably Saturday at the latest. So again, we talked about this. He he deals with his back thing almost every year. It's, you know, if you have those back injuries yourself, you know that they just kind of pop up. They're kind of relentless and you just got to get through it, right? Yeah. Um, and he so, swung a bat before that last game yes, too. Yeah. yeah. So, so they, like he, yeah. this isn't yeah he's not like in a really bad place or some lengthy thing but you know it just you, you want to let him rest up and and make sure that he's comfortable out there but I, I I you know I throw that out there because obviously they're missing one of their best hitters so that that's important to note you know when you look at these last few nights the runs not exactly uh, you know the floodgates not open but an an interesting spot that they find themselves in the lineup. Joe Madden tried Jason Hayward at the leadoff spot to just mm. kind of mix those things up. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Descalso was dealing with the ankle thing. He's recently, you know, gotten back out there in the field, so I think he's, uh, you know, back to being healthy. Uh, but his numbers have taken a, a pretty significant hit since the beginning of the season, and. They have not necessarily been, uh, you know, they don't try Elmora up top against uh, righties for sure. And, you know, he's been kind of in and out of that leadoff spot against lefties. And so they try Hayward there, but Hayward is in the middle of a wild slump right now, Brendan. And I I think that, you know, uh, some of it is certainly bad luck. Uh, He has uh, definitely a couple balls in this Cincinnati series that come to mind just off the top of my head that, you know, certainly deserved to be hits. Um, one down the first baseline tonight. I know he had an oppo line drive that, you know, is right at the left fielder yesterday, but, you know, well-struck balls that are just finding gloves. Uh, but his numbers have taken a drastic turn 
Um, his batting average is down to 235. Yeah, that was I mean, like, shocking, that's crazy. Man. I'm like, am I and, and, and this right? isn't, and you know, just to, to clarify, this isn't one of those like, oh, Hayward sucks again, like th- thought exercises. Like we're not doing that. I told you guys we're not going to do that. <laughs> we're not, we're not doing this anymore. Um, I don't know what Hayward is. That's, that's my definitive answer on this pretty much <laughs> till the end of time. But this is more just to say this is a a, a bad stretch, one yeah, that he yeah. that that probably doesn't deserve to be this bad. But I'm just sure. pointing out that it has plummeted his numbers. Th- this stretch and this slump that he is in has totally killed that brilliant start that he has, just in terms of his overall line. Though I will say that as it stands right now, his WRC plus, remember, 100 is league average. league average. 99 is below, 101 is above. He's dead on at 100. So he, at, to, for, on the whole for the year, he's been a league average hitter with, with his glove and base running. You would certainly live with. It's just a shame that a, a stretch like this, you know, and, and you told me before, it was, he was like four for his last 55. Yeah, something like that. Like, whatever it is. I mean, you're, you're, it's, it's, it's cutting hairs at this point. He's like yeah. four for his last, like, 57 plate appearances. Yeah, which I mean, is, that'll, yeah, that'll tank your that numbers, do it, bro. Yeah. Like, I, you know, and even, uh, when we have seen him, you know, not put up, uh, good seasons with the Cubs, you know, 235 would be close to like that 2016 season. Like that's, that's how low of an, an average that is. Like, and, and just certainly not, uh, what you would expect out of him. You know, he's right. a 270 last year. So it's just to say that a slump like this can really damage your numbers. Uh, but after the two tries with that, he goes to Kyle Schwarber, on Thursday, and he kind of noted, like, kind of, you know, I'm kind of moving off of Hayward there. While he's in this slump, I don't think it's best to, you know, put him up at the leadoff spot, even though, I, you know, I think as long as he's not in a slump like this, I think Hayward, Hayward has a lot of merits to be in the leadoff spot. He's got a good eye. He can take walks. Uh, he's got good speed. So, you know, I think that there's some merit there to him being up there, just as I, you know, see some merit with Schwarber. But what I wanted to ask you specifically was on a a quote from Madden where he says that, and this is from Jordan Bastian at ML Bastian on Twitter, and he says, quote, Madden has considered moving his two, three, four hitters, that would be Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, and Javier Baez, to the one, two, three spots in the order, but said, and this is a quote from Madden, I'm not there yet. Jordan goes on to say Schwarber at number one was partially due to history versus the starter Castillo, partially due to recent on-base numbers. He said he may get a few starts there, but Madden wanted to ease off Hayward as well. So I guess this is all a roundabout way to say, and and it is worth again reiterating that the Cubs couldn't really have planned for this Ben Zobrist situation. He's still out indefinitely. We don't really have any timetable on that. I don't know that there is one. It's it's up to Ben pretty much at this point. So obviously they couldn't have planned for that, but at least for the moment, you lose an impact bat, no doubt. And a guy that I think going into the season, and certainly as the season was was rolling along, you kind of figured would be up at that leadoff spot at least sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, now you're without him. Descalso has not been hitting as well and, you know, is just coming off of sitting out, at least playing defense for the ankle injury. And you you tried Hayward there, but he's in a massive slump. Schwarber's been getting on base. And I know you were looking at those expected averages and, you know, Schwarber has, has deserved better than the results he's gotten. 
but his overall numbers are not where you would like them to be. So what do you think about the structure of this lineup going forward? And what do you think in particular about the suggestion, though Joe said he's not there yet, but the suggestion of basically just moving the guys up and saying, we're going to start with Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, and Javi Baez, and we'll figure it out after that. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. I'm with Joe. I'm not there yet to move those three guys up. What I want to see first before making that decision is how does Schwarber look in the leadoff spot going forward? Because, yes... In Schwarber's last 50 plate appearances, you know, roughly 50 plate appearances, he's walking once every four plate appearances. That's a 25% rate. That's exceptional. And for rates like those, they tend to stabilize, you know, pretty fast. And it's not fluky. So what Schwarber's been doing has been because Schwarber's seen the ball well. It's not because of some randomness, which is what you want to see. And overall, like looking at Schwarber's entire season, the numbers are not there. And I have high expectations for Schwarber. I want to see him do better. So I'm with fans who are frustrated or disappointed with how he started. At the same time, he's been a little misfortunate. And in that stretch where Javi was going off, where KB was blasting home runs left and right, I mean, quite literally left and right, and Rizzo was getting back on track, and Wilson Contreras was doing this thing, Schwarber was also performing pretty well. In that Arizona series, he had multiple base hits. He was driving the ball. He had a home run in Cincinnati a few days ago. He was slowly coming out of his you know, first few weeks slump there. Again, the total numbers are not there. I get it. But if we look at his expected numbers, which is what you alluded to, which includes exit velocity and launch angle and where he strikes the ball and at which portion of the field he strikes the ball. He has a weighted on base average that is essentially better than 80% of the league in his last 65 plate appearances. That's exceptional. But the numbers, the, the surface numbers, the batting average, the doubles, you name it, they're not there. So it suggests that he's either hitting the baseball right at fielders, which in my recent memory, he is, or two, that the defense is just making spectacular plays, which uh, admittedly, I can't really re- recall many of that happening. So it's 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 interesting because we know with Schwarber, the defense plays shifts nonstop. So my first hesitation with inserting Schwarber in leadoff is he's going to be up to bat with no men on base. And he has a high likelihood of doing that as the game progresses because the pitcher is going to be batting ahead of him. So what does that mean? Well, he's going to be batting when there's a guy in right field, in short right field, and up the middle where he tends to hit the ball the most. So that's one reason why I don't necessarily want to see Schwarber there. But I kind of, I'm I'm over that. I'm okay with that because he does hit the ball so well recently and he's taking pitches so well recently and I think overall his entire portfolio of what he brings he brings a higher contact rate than what you expect just a little bit below league average 
He has an exceptional eye, and we know he has the power. He's at 30 home runs in, in his career in one season already. He's young. We know the power potential beyond 30 home runs is obviously there. So it is intriguing. And normally, if Zobris was on the team, I would want Zobris there. If Descalso was healthy and playing the way he was in the first few weeks, it's a no-brainer. I want Descalso there. And the same thing can be said about Hayward. But he's going through a little bit of a funk right now. So who who else is there to bat leadoff that makes sense? Like, I don't think Schwarber's my primary option. But right now, I don't know if I want to take away Chris Bryant's and Javi Baez and, and Rizzo when he's healthy. I don't know if I want to take away their recent hot stretch because I want guys on base when those men are up. So I, I'm not there yet, and I agree with Madden. And I want to see how Schwarber looks in the short term. I want to see if Hayward can break out of this funk. I want to see Descasso, if he's fully healthy. Who knows if there's any lingering effects with that ankle before I end up doing that. But I have no issues with what Joe is doing. I understand batting Schwarber there. I understand not inserting Hayward in there in the short term. And I get what they're doing with Descasso with easing them back. It's just right now it's almost a perfect storm where all your leadoff options – you know, with Zobrist and Descalso and Hayward, they're just not there physically or you know metaphorically at the plate right now. It, right. It's eventually going to come back. They're gonna they're gonna figure out who's going to bat leadoff, and we're not going to see Chris Bryant batting leadoff or Javi Baez batting second or whatever in in the long run as a as a as a staple, so to speak. It's, this is a more of a short term solution. Yeah, I, I agree. I I don't hate the idea of moving everybody up. Um, but you know, to look at a couple numbers that Jordan Bastion tweeted out again, you know, he points out that the, and this was before Thursday's game. So, you know, I, I don't know where they are now, but I'm sure it's very close. Um, the 145 WRC plus from the Cubs two, three, and four spots in their order, uh, is the second best mark in all of baseball. And the leadoff spot so far this year has yielded a 65 WRC plus, which again is well below league average, which would be at 100. So it's, yeah, I I agree. Like, I think that when you're getting that type of production with those guys in the two through four spots, you know, it's tough to be convinced to mess with it. And then you'd also have the issue of if Bryant is leading off, who's hitting ninth, right? And I know Joe loves to put the pitcher eighth, and that's fine. But, you know, you don't want the pitcher hitting in front of Chris Bryant. So, you know, you then you have to, like, figure out that whole thing. Um, but that's not good production out, out of the leadoff spot. So I understand why Joe is kind of playing this game of musical chairs and uh, trying to figure it out because you, you need better production than that. And, and it goes to say, you know, we've talked about, like, how good parts of this offense have been, how good in particular those three guys and Wilson Contreras have been. And if you had better production in front of them, right, like you would see this offense doing even better things. And we went through this, I think, what was it, 2017, where Chris doesn't have as many RBIs? And we, we, yeah, we've we yeah. gone through this before. Like, we all know this. Like, Chris didn't have a lot of RBIs because the leadoff spot in that year was a disaster for most of the season. <laughs> so, like, that's going to prevent the two-hitter from getting a lot of RBIs when he's the one starting the offense in a lot of ways. So, yeah, I, I think give everybody a try. I, I think, to me— the, the hallmarks for who should be up there are guys that take walks, can see a lot of pitches, if that's, you know, what the pitcher is giving you, 
and that's you know it has a, d- a decent amount of speed like that that's basically it I'm, I'm not uh you know like a traditionalist like we don't want just someone that's fast for the sake of being fast um but i think getting on base working the count and speed and you know oddly enough yes i i do realize that i'm literally describing what dexter fowler would do for this team uh <laughs> i i realize that and there's a reason that you know that that we was all miss the way him, it was we all miss him we know yeah i mean it, there's a reason that you know it was uh you go we go like that 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 was a thing for a reason and he's exactly that player he's got some speed he's not the fastest guy but he's got some speed he works counts and he gets on base like that's what i want and you know we've talked about like how i don't like almora up there and it's never to knock almora i i like almora getting out there he made another phenomenal catch in this series uh that produced a a brilliant gif for him when he like kind of rolled over he did like a barrel roll uh and then let out like a really loud yell that's a phenomenal it was a pretty sick catch and it was an amazing catch yeah and a really great gift from Kyle Hendricks with his reaction. We got like a wow Tons uh, of emotion from there. Kyle Hendricks. And that was a really good one because Dietrich tried to pimp what he thought was a home run. And Albert was like, nah, man, like I got this. Hold, hold on a second. Um, so that was fun. So I, I, I don't say I don't like Elmora up top as a knock on Elmora. I, 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 I like him out there. I'm all for him getting the the playing time to develop and we've seen what he can do when he's hot and he's hitting the ball on a line and 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 you know he's he's hitting home runs so it's it's not a knock on him but it's just I I prefer someone that is more likely to take a walk and work a five six seven pitch at bat to start the game and who you know can beat out those those soft ground balls on the infield and that's just not Elmora so I, I I think that that him being in that later part of the order is the perfect spot for him. I, I just don't love him at leadoff. But when you're getting that type of production overall from the leadoff spot, you got to keep trying things and see what sticks. Because ultimately, this team is too talented, and I think you have too many pieces uh, on this team and, and throughout the system that you, you need somebody up there that can get on base and set the table for these two through four hitters uh, that you know, can allow you to start just doing more damage as an offense overall. And I'd be surprised, too, if if one of Hayward or Descalso or, or even Schwarber to some degree can't secure a more consistent present at the leadoff spot. I think ultimately my presence or my, my preference, rather, is Descalso. I, I, I'm a little surprised how polar opposite his, his recent performance has been compared to how he started the year i something just doesn't look right for him i don't know if it's just him getting back into the groove of things or if the ankle is still lingering on but i was impressed in the first three weeks how Descaso played so i again i just don't think having kb and, and rizzo and javi and Contreras slotted up one each is going to be a long lasting thing this is more of a short-term thing and eventually like you said this team has so much talent that these things work its way out one way or another, whether it is even those three guys in the leadoff spot, whether it's Hayward or Schwarber or Descalso. Maybe it's someone else that pops out of nowhere. We, we just don't know. Long story short, this team has an insane amount of talent. We, we, they, they're winning these games for a reason because they have guys throughout even their bench who can perform and give you value even if not everyone is clicking at the same time. So it's it's going to work its way out eventually. 
With that being said, let me preview the series against the Washington Nationals this weekend. And there's still time to get tickets to this series through SeatGeek with millions of live event tickets and a price match guarantee. There's no better way than SeatGeek. Search sports, live music, comedy, and more. SeatGeek has the tickets you're looking for all in one place. Why is SeatGeek better than the rest? A quick look at the App Store shows over 50,000 five-star reviews. How is that for customer satisfaction? It's a better process. Simple as that. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets from all over the web. Then it rates each deal on a scale of 1 to 10. Finally, SeatGeek displays this on an interactive seat map. SeatGeek breaks down the details. Green dots mean good deals. Red dots are overpriced. And every purchase is fully guaranteed. So you can shop for tickets with confidence. I always use the SeatGeek app no matter what event I'm going to. I get my tickets through SeatGeek, whether it's baseball games, basketball games, concerts, you name it. I go through SeatGeek. It takes me five minutes, guys, to just go on the app, get the ticket I want. I can send a quick reminder or I can send a ticket to my friends. I can buy their tickets for them. All again within five minutes. Extremely easy to use. And I know that I'm going to get the best deal possible. Best of all, our listeners, you guys, get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is use our promo code. Download the SeatGeek app and use promo code CUBSRELATED for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code CUBSRELATED for $10 off your first purchase. So the Cubs will play Friday, and they'll be facing off in Washington against Max Scherzer, who is 2-4 with a 3.64 ERA. I'm always used to seeing Max with like a 5-0 record with like a 1.5 year rate this early on. So maybe he's not on and he'll be facing Cole Hamels with a 3-0 record and a 3.08 ERA. That game starts at 6.05 p.m. Central and then the Cubs will be right back at it on Saturday. Your boy Corey John Lester on the mound. You ready for this? A 1.16 ERA in our minds. That is the major league best but he is not qualified for the short term. He's 3-1 this year. He'll be facing off against Steven Strasburg, who's 3-3 three three with a 3.63 ERA. Cubs are getting mis- uh, a lot of misfortune facing these pitchers recently. That game starts at 6.15 p.m. Central Time, and then they'll finish off the three-game set once again, the third week in a row on Sunday Night Baseball, Kyle Hendricks will take the mound, going for his fourth straight insane performance, in my opinion. Hendricks has a 2.86 ERA on the year with that 3-4 and four record. And Jeremy Helkson will face Hendricks, who's not doing too well to start this season. He's 2-2 two and two with a 6.0 flat ERA. You may remember Helixson from his days with Tampa Bay as well as Arizona and Philadelphia. So he's been more of a journeyman recently. He was known early on for having a nice fastball changeup combo. He's since adapted. He's not throwing as hard as he used to. But he's he's a consistent figure in this in this league. And he's always changing, so it may be kind of a tough matchup regardless. The Nationals are 18 and 25. The Cubs dropping two or three against Cincinnati. They're 25 and 16. Going into Friday, they're still half a game up on Milwaukee, and they are three and a half games up on St. Louis. So that is the lay of the land there. I'm not really looking for any one specific player in this series. I am still looking at how Madden utilizes that bullpen. 
They did give up a lead in that second game with Carl Edwards Jr. serving one up, which, by the way, I thought he looked pretty good that outing. That that high fastball was kind of where he wanted to locate on that home run. Overall, the curveball was sharp for him, and so was his fastball. So I'm not really concerned about uh, Edwards Jr. there. I still want to see him get inserted back into those high leverage situations, so I will be monitoring that. Corey, anything that you're looking for? I don't think so. I mean, I think this is a tough stretch, man. I mean, and and this happens, and, you know, it's just one of those things where the schedule works out the way it does. But facing Castillo, Scherzer, and Strasburg on three straight days is, I mean, that might be the— It sucks. It's very possible they don't have a tougher stretch the entire season. Um, You know, this is kind of a a three-game stretch that you would expect to see in the playoffs in in terms of the caliber— of these pitchers and you just got to try to trudge through it um you know unfortunately they you know almost you know they were in a position to steal one from Castillo tonight uh you know if Quintana doesn't allow those three runs in the fifth inning on Thursday night um but you you just got to try to get through it and hopefully Rizzo is back at least by Saturday um you know obviously when you're going through a stretch like this it doesn't help to be without one of your best hitters but it it just is how it works out. So I you know I think it it's it's difficult too, but I think you have to keep that in mind that you know this is not an easy stretch and it's it's one of those stretches where you know I I don't think you can look at that and and really expect them to fare that well in it. I I you know and that's not to say you're you're assuming they lose all three games. Of course not. But these are three of the best pitchers in the league. And, you know, whether Scherzer's going as well as he can or as he has in the, in the past, you know, he's, he's still, still Max Scherzer. Scherzer. So yeah. um, it, it's it's still tough regardless. So I think, you know, it's we just got to start an, another one of these streaks. Um, we, Brendan, we cannot possibly allow them to lose two series no, in a no row. Way. No, I, I, won't, I won't hear of it. Okay. Um but yeah, I mean, I'm still in a position where they 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 played so well over those uh, ten series that I you know am am comfortable to just sit back and see how they fare against these really good pitchers and uh, you know hopefully they can take two of three here on the road because you know they've just been playing really good baseball on the whole they they've been doing what they need to do to win games they've been you know taking uh, the majority of the games against good teams and. You know, so I, I I'm not going to uh, lose my mind over them losing one series here against the Reds. I think that that's uh, I think that they've earned at least that, Brendan. I, I can Only remain one. calm for for one series. But as I said in the last one, man, I, I'm glad that we're done with this Sunday night baseball thing. Um, I, I I can't recommend it enough. Mute the TV, pause it, sync it up with the radio. You can get the the you know you can get 670 the score. I think on on some of those apps for sure you can get it on the MLB.com at bat app. Just do it. it, it it's it's better for your sanity. You, you don't have to listen to any of this stuff. You don't have to pay attention to the five in-game interviews that they feel the need to play the audio over uh, when they're showing a game. You just don't have to. You don't have to indulge in any of it. So uh, or just mute the TV. That's yeah, I know, well. but like sitting in silence isn't great. I did that I mean, for Game Six of the World Series, man. I could not take Smoltz in that in that in that stress. Yeah. It was too much for me. I I think that you know maybe this one won't be as annoying just because it's not the Brewers or Cardinals. 
um, you know, because like the the little you know fluff yeah, pieces right. on Christian Yelich. I mean, that's definitely more annoying than whatever they can do for the Nationals. I don't really care about the Nationals, um, but it, it's still it's it's just such a it's such an exhausting way to watch the game. And and I really think that the the disservice of it all is just you know when you have. People like you and I, and I and I imagine most of you guys listening, who you know you're watching this team every day. You're in tune with this team. You're reading about this team and uh, various sites, newspapers, etc. You're listening to this podcast. It stinks to listen to people talk about your team as if who don't they know, know what's about going it on <laughs> when they don't know when they don't when they don't watch the team. Alex they don't Rodriguez. know what's going on. And they just kind of say stuff just to say stuff. And you know they'll look at one number you know, an ERA, a batting average, what, whatever it may be. And, you know, they, they act like it'll tell the story. Like, and if this, ha- I'm just picking something, right? But like, if this happens, uh, tweet me about it. I'll cut the clip and I'll probably share it. But I, I would not be surprised just because we talked about it, that they look and they go, man, and it's another disappointing season for Jason Hayward on the North side, a 235 batting average. And that's the type of, of stuff you get on these national broadcasts where it removes any context. Anybody watching Hayward knows he's in a big slump, but that he he was putting up good numbers for at least a month of this season. You know, he's hit some big home runs. Like, he's had a better off, off offensive start to this year prior to this major slump than, than they might give him credit for. But the type of content you get on these games is that they'll look and they'll go, oh, 235, like he must stink. And they just run with it. So it, it's just frustrating. I, I not, you know, I don't want to harp on it too much, but it, it, it really is just a frustrating way to watch the game. And I, and just I wish that they it. just, just get through it. Yeah. It's I mean, more. I wish that they just gave us the option to like, you know, turn on NBC Chicago or whatever and you get Len. You don't have to watch on ESPN if you don't want to, like, and and you can just kind of like move on with your life. But such is life. But yeah, it, it, this is a tough stretch in terms of the pitchers that the Cubs are facing, and and I hope that they're able to, uh, you know, get through it. Like, let's let's try to beat one of Strasburg and Scherzer, and then take Hellickson on on Sunday Night Baseball, win yourself another series, and start another streak here. Sounds good to me. And then we'll uh, we'll be back at it reviewing that Jake Arietta matchup on oh, uh, Sunday night. I can't wait. To, I can't wait to do that. It's going to be uh, something else there. That'll be a wild one. I I am at the very least, and I know we'll get into this. I am at the very least looking forward to Jake being back on that mound. I hope he tips his cap when he goes out there. I mean, we'll yeah, talk I mean, about that, it later. That should but be man, a uh, that's got to be know, something. Whoever, if it is Kyle who who's leading off that day, or Jason Hayward, or Albert Almora, whoever take, it is, take a step out. Yeah. We moment. need a we need a good step out of the box yes, there and and let the crowd uh, have their moment with uh, Jake Arrieta because of course uh, you know the last time he leaves the mound was against the Dodgers in that NLCS in 2017. Oh, you're get me emotional over here. Uh, well, yeah, and and it'll probably be more so uh, watching that, but he he deserves a nice long standing ovation. I'm sure there will be a wildly emotional video package put together. So. That'll be fun, but let's take two or three from the Nationals first, and we'll deal with uh, the Phillies when it's time to deal with the Phillies. So other than that, I think that's all we have. Uh, As Brendan said, we will come to you on late Sunday night, early Monday morning after the Cubs and Nationals wrap things up from D.C., as always, we thank you guys for listening. We appreciate uh, the social media interaction, the five-star reviews on the iTunes store, Apple Podcast app. And you can find us on iTunes and the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, 
uh, iHeartRadio. We post the episodes on CubsInsider.com as well as the Cubs Insider YouTube. Brendan is at Cubs Related on Twitter. That is our Instagram handle. I am at CF Cubs Related. And all of the CubsInsider.com handles are at Real Cubs Insider. Other than that, as always, we thank you guys very much for joining us and listening to us throughout the season. We will talk to you when the Cubs finish up with the Washington Nationals. And as always, go Cubs. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. Emotional pain and depression can indicate that someone may be at risk for suicide, but the signs aren't always easy to see or discuss. Most people who take their lives exhibit one or more warning signs. Often the signs are subtle changes in mood, what they say, or how they act. Learn to recognize the warning signs. Suicide is preventable. Recognize it. Talk about it. Act on it. Learn more at RecognizeTalkAct.org. A message from the Virginia Department of Health. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.